0: Death Eaters, welcome back to the Country. I'm agree and that is Mr. Horsley, the beautiful Mr. Horsley. Aww. I Haven't said that one yet. Well, thank you. And today- I'll take it. <laughs> I bet you'll take it on the show. Well, it's the wonderful Vita Ayala, isn't it?
1: It is. It is. And she came on, talked with Casey uh, about her work on the X-Books and uh, work with Valiant for Livewire and- She's done a bunch of stuff, man. Did they, they talk for so long? We got two
0: parts. Yeah, it's a two-parter. I went to put this together to release today, and I called you up. I'm <laughs> like, yesterday was your anniversary, which is kind of funny because I called you up. And I'm like, are we releasing three episodes? Because <laughs> we had Mark Russell and Steve Hughes slated for today, and you're like, um, no. <laughs> so we decided to hold on and release it today when you're hearing this, as
1: yeah, opposed today. to-
0: and you get two. That's so true. this is
1: the first part, and then we got you know another a whole another hour for you coming up later this afternoon.
0: Yeah, can't beat that. Can't beat it. Can't beat that. All right. So but she's She's going to gonna talk to about a lot of stuff about Valiant, right? Yeah, Valiant
1: and X stuff. I think they talk about X stuff first, and then then get into Valiant. Uh, it's a it's a long one. They go back and forth a little
0: bit, but it's pretty cool. Fun. Well, let's just get into it and listen to Vita yeah. and her own words.
2: All right, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of Spoiler Country. Today on the show, we have a big treat for you. They are a writer, and they've done so many amazing comics coming out lately, specifically in the X universe, and so many other things. Let's give a big hand for Vida Ayala. Vida, how you doing?
3: I'm doing. I'm doing okay. Doing my best. <laughs> As we all. Awesome. Are. Uh, <laughs> super excited to be here.
2: Thank you so much. Uh, so I have, I've been fascinated with the the work that you've been doing. And f- for a while, and then when I found out that you were going to be on the Xbox, I was like, Oh, holy shit. That is <laughs> so rad. So can, can you tell me a little bit about how, what, what drew you to comics? What was the thing that you made you go like, Oh, <laughs> what hooked you?
3: Yeah, absolutely. If anyone's heard this story before, I apologize. I'll try and do it briefly. But when I was a kid, my mom's a single mom. and uh, I have I have brothers and sisters, blah blah blah. But my primarily I have uh one brother who was the person that was usually living with us all. And my mom would take us both to the bodega to whenever she had to go shopping. That's the corner store. Sorry if you're not from New York City. <laughs> I feel like bodega is a word that's like pretty widespread now because of like bodega cats and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. So like, it's just, it's our corner store. It's not even always on the corner, but.
2: I've always wanted to go to a bodega. Just but like, I've never I've never been to like a, a big like metropolitan city, like maybe Atlanta, but pfft, Atlanta's, hey, Atlanta's okay.
3: okay. That's great. Um, great I'll tell music you what, and good food. I was going to say, that's right. Don't 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 count Atlanta out. And when if you're ever in New York City, I'll take you to the best bodegas.
2: <laughs> well, that sounds amazing. I would love to get a bodega sandwich with you.
3: Oh uh, yeah, I mean I got spots. Like <laughs> I'll hook you up with a good bodega sandwich, a good chopped cheese or like a super chicken Philly. I got you.
2: Who's the rapper? He has the food show on Vice. Oh my gosh, this is a white dude with red hair, big guy. He has like, a food show and he'll like go into a bodega and pop in. I'm just like, oh my gosh, that looks amazing. I would love to do that.
3: <laughs> That's the way to do it. Like, people, <laughs> people always come to New York and think they got to go real fancy. And it's like, no, you just got to, you got to be respectful and you got to find the good food and the good food is often affordable. But anyway, sorry, I could talk about food and bodegas forever. <laughs> so she would take us down on the bodega whenever she had to do anything with a good reason. We were both wild animals and could not be left alone. feral <laughs> creatures. And uh, there's a spinner rack in our, in the bodega. And uh, yeah, I miss those. Those were like, almost like, like the book that you picked off of it would define who you were (laughs) for the rest of you (laughs) it's like choosing your weapon or like you know what i mean like or in the hundred day ceremony choosing like you put the baby in front of all the stuff and they choose like their future that's kind of what spinner racks are like and i'm really sad that that's not really a thing anymore. it
2: it was a portal to a different world
3: yeah and and it's so interesting what people were drawn to when they like because they there was just always a hodgepodge of stuff oh yeah but so on the rack were two books that immediately caught my attention. I couldn't read at the time. I, I started reading pretty late around 11 or 10 or 11. So this was when I was probably seven or eight, something like that. There was a Wonder Woman book and an X-Men book. And on the X-Men book, was, there was a cover and it was Storm and Bishop. And right away... I I were they
2: like embracing...
3: I don't think so. I think they were like back to back about to, you know, fight or whatever. I I, honestly, I don't have the single issue anymore. That's a sad (laughs) story that I won't tell. But I I saw them and I misidentified Wonder Woman as Puerto Rican. I'm Puerto Rican. I'm Afro Latinx. I'm black and Puerto Rican. And I was like, oh, my God, look at all these brown people. And I brought them to my mom and she was like, oh, you want to read? Yeah, absolutely. Like these are like a dollar. Sure. Cool. You know. And so she bought me those and I would just sit and like flip through the pages. I couldn't read the words, but I would make up the stories and stuff. And then for one Christmas, I can't remember which one, my parents got me this Fisher Price Marvel jam, where it was a Marvel graphic novel, which I still have, and a Fisher Price cassette tape. And the cassette tape would read all of the text on the page. And it would like indicate when you should like turn the page and stuff like that. And so I, I literally, I wore the tape out. Until it was broken, like it was just completely stretched out. And the the graphic novel, it's it seen better days. It was uh, the Arabian Nights. And so my first my first couple comic books were all either brown people or people I misidentified <laughs> as brown people. I have an argument for why I thought Wonder Woman was Puerto Rican. Her outfit is super super Puerto Rican. She looks like. You know, I mean,
2: she could cousins, be like... Her
3: name is Diana, yeah. like one of my cousins. She comes from a small island of very powerful women. I'm just, There's just a lot. She says hola all the time. Like there's a lot <laughs> going on. So, so yeah, I, I, you know, I was drawn to them because I thought I was seeing myself and, you know, Storm and Bishop are both Black. That's true. And so I, I thought to myself, this was one of the first places that I really saw people like me as heroes, not as, you know, either a side character or you know, someone who's a criminal or any of that kind of stuff. And
2: that's, that's important. That's so important.
3: Yeah. I mean, we were also a big Star Trek family. So like I, I grew up on like, you know, with Uhura and Guinan and like, you know, B'Elanna, I guess later on, like they exist and they're very important Cisco, clearly. But, you know, I also was was just drawn to this thing that I could just have and and interact with whenever I wanted. And it was easy, you know, it was cheap and it was easy to carry around. And I was always just like, a, like I was always drawing at that age and making up stories. So this was just a medium that really called to me. And then from there, you know, <laughs> as soon as I started getting allowance, I started blowing it on comics so. uh, <laughs> and manga.
2: <laughs> so yeah, yeah. There was a, a grocery store down the road from us that I would walk down and we didn't have a lot of money, but yeah, I would mow yards and get money that way. And I would, re- I felt so guilty because I would read off the spinner rack and then put it back. And then like the one that I did want, if I liked it enough, I would like buy it. But I always felt bad. Like when I would put one back.
3: <laughs> as long as you didn't leave it greasy, honestly, it's not the worst. And having worked in comics retail for 10 years, like as long as people were being respectful, I was like, I don't care. <laughs> Like you can read one or two issues. I literally do not. Care. Yeah, I used to. I used to engage in semi-criminal activity to pay for my comics. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so you, you worked in comics retail. How was that?
3: Intense. <laughs> really? Imagine if the internet was like come would oh. come to your job and you couldn't leave. <laughs> you couldn't close the app. That's kind of was no. It was it was fine. It had its ups and downs like any other any other job, but the ups were, were pretty high. You know, I made some of my absolute best friends in the world through working at Forbidden Planet, Matt Rosenberg and Danny Lore, And, you know, oh, cool. And, you know, all these people who were now we're all like making comics, <laughs> which is really fun as well as people who work behind the scenes like Matt Klein and John Petrie <laughs> over at Valiant. So, you know, I, I think I got a lot out of it everyone has bad days at work, but my good days definitely outweigh the bad days. I got to stand around, not really stand around. I actually did my job, but you know, I got to talk about comics and movies and story all day, every day for like 10 years. (laughs) And
2: and you, apparently you got to do it with, with people who were, you know, like-minded and also had that same ambition and drive. So that's, that's amazing.
3: I feel like, a lot of people that work in comic shops do it because they want to be closer to comics and understanding comics. Rosenberg will talk about this, but this is also true for myself where it's like, I I didn't necessarily know I wanted to make them, but I wanted to know all about them. And I wanted to be, you know, engaged in a community that cared about them because I would bring them home. And like, my mom is very sweet and now she's into comics, but like, she'd just be like, Oh, that's nice. And we, you know, we couldn't talk about it or like that kind of stuff. Like my brother a lot of my brothers are more video game guys than comic guys. And so they like, could be like, someone talk to me about comics. I need to talk about this nerdy stuff. <laughs> um, they're all nerds. Every single one of us are nerds uh, in our own ways. So,
2: Nice. So, so what, what finally pushed you over the edge and, and got you to, to actually start writing?
3: I've been writing since I learned how to read when I was about 10 or 11. I've always been a big story person. I would make up stories in my head all the time and I would tell stories all the time. (laughs) Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a bad thing. But yeah, I've been writing since I learned how to read. And then in terms of comics, I, I actually, I dabbled a little bit in college, but I didn't really buckle down and start writing comics and thinking about comics in terms of actually pursuing them as a career until I was working with Matt Rosenberg, actually, he really encouraged me and, and gently, gently pushed me to do it. Cause I, you know, I, up until I was like 19, I didn't even know that if you couldn't draw, you you still had, like, you could still make comics. I was super into manga and like mangaka tend to be cartoonists. And so like, it just never occurred to me to look at the like the credit page on a comic book. And then, you know, once I figured it out, I was like, oh, but like, nobody like me writes comics. Like, that's not really a thing. Like, all the names do not look like my names. All the people do not look like me. I don't think that, you know, that's something that I can do. And then when I was in my late 20s and working in Forbidden Planet, Matt Rosenberg was like, no, you could just do it. And you should, you should just do it. I'm gonna, you know what? Uh, it's too late. You have a pitch meeting with my friend, so you have to do it. And clearly he wouldn't have pushed me to do it if I, if I was completely unwilling, you know, he's a very supportive and caring person. So, but yeah, that's, that's really what pushed me over the edge was someone literally like he would take me literally by the hand at conventions and introduce me to people that he knew, not just like editors and stuff, but like other writers and artists and all that kind of stuff. And he kind of like, really helped me understand the industry side of things as opposed to just like the side that I knew as a retailer and as a, as a, you know, as a reader. And I fell in love with it. I love the act of, you know, collaborating on comics. I love talking about story stuff and talking about comics. Like I would do it all day if my wife wouldn't lose her mind. <laughs> I,
2: I want to get into that later about, about how you balance the, you know, the work-life balance and stuff like that. <laughs> so but for right now like like rosenberg kind of helped kick you in the ass and and get yes. you like <laughs> get you in the game for for lack of a better term i'm i'm sure like i'm not near as good a writer as you so i'm going to use something crude like that <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, i think if you're a writer you're a writer so don't you're the only part it's like running you're only really competing with yourself
2: well well what what's your let's get into that a little bit what 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 is your situation like? How do you go about it? Are you a morning writer do you do you just write when it's inspiring you or do you uh I wish
3: I just, that was a thing Oh my gosh Can you imagine? <laughs> i mean for me when i was when I wasn't doing it as a profession, I would still do it almost every day i you know i've I've had a lot of jobs I have a lot of interests, and i have you know i've I'm a jack of all trades, so I'm passable at a at a bunch of things. But writing was the one thing that I would always be doing while I was doing anything else. I'm compelled to write. If I don't write, you know, in two days, I feel dirty. I feel gross. <laughs> like, I need it. So I have to do it. So that's part of it. And once, you know, that those were the times that I would just, like, you know, squirrel away a couple of minutes here or there to write. When I was a, I was a security guard at the Metropolitan Museum of Art for a while. And Would you know, love
2: that job. That sounds it was, amazing. It was
3: dope. And wild and bananas, and yes, it's haunted. No, the stuff does not come to life. I would have left the city if that was true. <laughs> but you know, I, I would go in early and write before my shift. I had a little notebook that I would keep inside my jacket pocket and I'd write on my breaks and then you know I'd write on the way home from, from work and all that kind of stuff. And then I, I started working nights at the Met and I would write you know whenever I could squirrel away a second. But once they're paying you for it, you, you, you have to do it on a schedule. So my process involves nowadays during this year, getting up earlier than I usually would, you know, sitting down at the computer, looking at my to-do list, and trying to, you know, structure the day so that I can ride my creative wave. I'm usually the most like creative in terms of making new content, new stuff in the early afternoon. So like one to five. So I'll do like edits or lettering stuff in in the morning and answer emails and stuff. And then I'll start doing like new stuff in the early afternoon. Oh, cool. Yeah. And then evening, usually I'll, if I have any meetings or calls or whatever, I'll schedule them for, you know, late afternoon, early evening. So that's basically my day. Clearly COVID makes things hard (laughs) because it makes just everything hard in general. But that, when I'm being good, that's the schedule that I keep to. Um, And I try very hard to stay off social media and I failed very badly this week. I was doing so well for like two months and then I like tripped up again.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, it's got to be kind of hard when you have people like Lee Williams also. (laughs) But she, she also seems to be like, she is keeping people in line also.
3: You know, she's, she's a real one. Leah does incredible work, both on the page and also just in life. She is one of the most passionate and compassionate people that I know. She's one of my best friends. Leah. She seems really rad. She's so rad. She's incredibly smart and beautiful inside and out. And she spends a lot of her energy trying to facilitate empathy as much as possible and to care for people whether she knows them or not as much as possible. So she is an absolute joy. But yes, that does mean sometimes we're just on social media. <laughs> I'm like, but, no, we both have to work. We both have to, we have like a discord where she, Teeny, and I just, we just talk all day. And and like one of us will constantly be like, hey, hey, get up, get off social media. It's time, <laughs> to, it's time to write. Let's do sprints. Let's do, you know, like, and that's a big part of my process too, is working, especially with Elia and Danny, will we'll encourage each other during the day and be like, "All right, we're going to work for forty-five minutes straight, and we're not going to do anything but work." And then we'll check in, and you know, we give each other little rewards like TikToks and stuff like that. <laughs> so That is part of the process. Finding 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 a community is really really important when you're a creative person because otherwise, your well one runs dry very quickly. And so it's even harder right now because we can't go physically see each other. Yeah, a yeah, big like thing, like conventions aren't just, it's like, people think it's for the, the people that enjoy partaking in, but not making, but that's not true. Like creators go and we hang out with our friends who we only see twice a year, you know, like we actually hug each other and we like yell in each other's face and do karaoke and take each other to dinner and like stay up late and like do our nails. Like we, we do all this stuff that like, you know, we live, you know, when you, when you're creating, it's usually like alone at home in the room so we have to have our like office time and pack it into like 12 days a <laughs> year
2: well, writing is so such an insular activity so i'm yeah. sure getting out and around people is is almost therapeutic in a way
3: it is it's so it's like draining but in the best way and it's also like conventions i use as an excuse to just be like i'm gonna just do things I enjoy for a little bit. <laughs> like <laughs> it is technically work. So <laughs> I'm going to, you know, go hang out with my friends and, and instead of going back to my room and writing till 3am or like whatever. We did a, Teeny and I were at Miami Book Fest last November. And like, we were like, we're just going to go to the pool. <laughs> and like, we ended up talking about story and stuff with a couple of other creatives as well. But like, we were like, but we're doing it in a hot tub <laughs>
2: I mean, that what better way to get stuff done than...
3: Listen, I can't afford a hot tub at home. So whenever I like have to spring for a hotel, I'm like, all right, is there a gym? And is there a pool? <laughs> the <laughs> things I can't do at home.
2: Yeah, and, and I see a lot of camaraderie there just, just based off of like your Twitter interaction. I, I see it's like very much a team building exercise in a way. And you, y'all have captured that energy and are maintaining it even through the ravages of COVID when, you know, personal interaction is few and far between. So that's, that's amazing that y'all have that.
3: I think we take turns being at the bottom of the wheel and, and, and the other two supporting. I think that's, it's, you know, that's how friendship and relationship should be in general. Right but we're very lucky to have found each other. And so we kind of take turns supporting each other because, you know, it does get hard sometimes even to just motivate to like get to the key keypad. And so like we'll incentivize each other. Uh, I remember a couple of weeks ago, Leah was like, I'm tired and I don't feel good. And I was like, I will be on the computer in the voice chat in 10 minutes. If you, <laughs> if you get to your computer and she was like, I'm dressed and ready. Let's go.
2: <laughs> so just, looking over your avoir of comics. I mean, you have gone not just in like the superhero realm, but you've done horror, you've done pretty much everything. What what is your inspiration? Like what is the thing that that makes you excited to write?
3: That's a good question. I think if I'm talking about licensed stuff, it's just the opportunity to work with characters that that mean so much to me I, I don't think I've worked on any licensed product like you know book project where I didn't care deeply about the characters or the or the world if that makes sense and that's really super motivating like the you know the fact that I get to get up every day and write like new mutants like uh, that's Bananas to me. I scarred myself for life as a child reading the Demon Bear Saga by accident. <laughs> and here, you know, I, you know, Storm. When I was a kid, Storm was my imaginary friend. <laughs> like, you know what I mean. And I've gotten to write Storm. Like, to me, being able to be involved with such incredible characters in such incredible worlds is super motivating. And then for my own creator own stuff, I. I am very interested in telling stories from my perspective. I don't think, I think every single writer and artists and, and creators perspective is very unique and individual. I do want to say that up front, but I think that, you know, I found it very hard to find myself in stories in just, you know, canonical stories and Western culture in general for a long time. And so I you know when I'm working on my creator and stuff, I tend to write stories that I needed. You know, I want to write stories for the five year olds that I was. I want to write stories for the 12-year-old that I was and you know the 20-year-old that I was. And I think that that doesn't really that doesn't exclude anyone from reading my stories. I hope that they're universal because I am a human being and human experience is something that we can all engage with. But I think that you know, that's what motivates me to write my creator on stuff is I, you know, I want to put those stories out there because I think that there are other people like me that are searching for themselves that might be having trouble finding themselves.
2: That's, that's amazing. And you were talking about, you know, wanting to see yourself in, in your art and just from like a, my, my wife teaches at a, at a, a school in, in Birmingham and it's mostly little, little black kids and when something like that comes out, I remember when Black Panther came out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a kid on that playground that wasn't Shuri or Black Panther, and just going nuts. And it's it's such a it's so important because people are are bombarded from a white Western perspective, and that shit's harmful as as a White dude, like, yeah.
3: <laughs> well, I think it's too, like I think so. I have like a couple of thoughts about this, right? Like, let me get on my tiny soapbox. It's not very No, great. please, please. But I, I mean, first, you're a hundred percent right. It's really important to see yourself. You know, there's the 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 famous story of like the black astronauts, like being like we're astronauts because O'Hura was on tv and the famous story of whoopi goldberg seeing you know nichelle nichols on star trek and being like oh my god there's a black woman and she's not a maid and like yeah went on to act and like all of these things like seeing yourself shows you that there is a space for you in the world And so when you don't see yourself, you you feel invisible in a very real way, in a very tangible way. You feel like you there's, you know, I didn't know that I could write like that. It was possible for me to write at all, like for anyone that wasn't my own notebook until I was in high school. And one of my teachers gave me an Octavia Butler book. And he was like, no, we can do this like this. He was also he was black, (laughs) and I I remember to this day, he gave me his signed copy to read. It was incredible. And wow. You know, he was like, "No, you, you absolutely can do this." There's that's
2: probably something he treasured. Yeah, on was was, copy of Octavia Butler
3: first edition paperback.
2: Some punk ass kid. He just gives this book Ooh. to that guy. Was a sad.
3: you know, he saved my life. That book saved my life. It was Dawn by Octavia Butler, and it absolutely saved my life. And I remember. Reading it and then giving it back. I've never taken care of the book the way I took care of the book, let me tell you. Uh, and I gave it back and, he, and I was like, Is it, it, did she do more? And he was like, oh yeah, there are more books than this series, let alone like all this other stuff that you wrote. And it just blew my mind. And I literally didn't know that was an option for me until I was like 15, 16 years old. And that's a small thing, but like... When we think about about those astronauts, they didn't realize that they could go to space, that that is a thing that they could go and fight for and pursue until they saw that. You know what I mean? Um, So it's really important for people to see themselves. But it's also important for people that are different from me to see me and to see people like me engaging in all sorts of activities that human beings go through, right? Because it's really hard to empathize with people if you don't understand that they're the same Yes. In terms of being a person. And I think that is also very harmful for people. I think it's a muscle.
2: Perception, for sure.
3: I mean, absolutely. I think that like there's a, there's literally, like not literally a muscle, but there's a part of you inside that if you do not exercise it, you become less and less able to empathize. And I think that we have a huge empathy problem. (laughs) And I think that it's a feedback loop where, you know, people go, Oh, but you know, you know, these are minority stories. So won't apply to lots of people. So they're not going to care. And it's like, well, you're telling people that they're not capable of caring. Like that's insulting as hell. (laughs) Like, yeah, you're a white guy. Does that make you mad that they're like, you're not capable of empathizing with anyone that isn't exactly like you. Like that's like, I would get into a fight with somebody. (laughs) Okay. But then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right.
2: I've gotten to like, so I'm, I'm 38 now. And, in regards to comics and, and like popular entertainment and stuff, I think one of the biggest things a lot of people, a lot of dudes need to come to terms with is, hey man, not everything's written for you. Not everything is written with your perspective in mind.
3: I and mean, also that okay. too, like, <laughs> yeah, that's okay. <laughs> is it's not for other people. <laughs> <laughs> it,
2: it's not telling you to fuck off and, and excuse my language. It's not telling you to like, it's your To buzz off, dude, is saying, like, hey, look at it this way. And that's cool. Like, get into it.
3: Yeah, and I, I think, too, like, there's a larger conversation to be had about how, like, you know, BIPOC people and queer people and femme people are all expected to be able to put themselves into the shoes of people that are very different than them. Most often, but not always, you know, cis, het, white, dudes, right? Not always, but often. We are you know, expected to be able to empathize and to connect with those characters. So why is it that when we ask the same, that there is friction? And that's a larger conversation that we don't have to get into, but I think that part of it does go back to you know, this idea that if, we don't, if we're not exposed to people that are different than us, then we don't understand that they are people or how to interact with them. And so that, you know, to me is also a reason why I, I do the things I do. I, I'm actually very, like, <laughs> I have terrible self-esteem <laughs> and I'm very shy. And I, you know, putting yourself out there in terms of making creative work is really nerve-wracking and really scary. But it's worth it to me because I want to go, no, <laughs> like, see, we exist Even if statistically we're not as much as other people, we exist and we're people too. And you should, you should be invited to see that we are people. Why shelter yourself? Yes.
2: Yes. Can we talk about the wilds a little bit? Yeah, sure. That comic is such a beautiful zombie apocalypse.
3: (laughs) Man, Emily Pearson and and Marissa Lee. Oh God.
2: Oh my goodness. How did you, how did that come
3: about? So the story core idea, which was very different, I've been fiddling around with since college. It's a long, long, long time. And I was on Twitter one day and I saw this fan art for for Overwatch, actually. Funny enough, I am a video game person as well. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. And I I reached out to the artist and I was like, hey, I really like your stuff. And we became mutuals. And we started talking and we vibed. We just vibed real hard. So I think Emily is like one of the coolest people on the planet. She's a, she was an actual infant. She was like 20 when she drew like the first issue. <laughs> bananas. I'm so much older than her. I'm like, oh, my bones are turning to dust. But we started talking. And because it's creator owned, uh, we had all the time we needed to develop it. And also we were able to collaborate on like down to the studs kind of level. Oh, Nice. And so, you know, my original idea was much more something closer to, like, The Crazies. I don't know if you've ever seen... Oh,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm old. I've seen The Crazies.
3: <laughs> we're, we're around the same age, so... Oh, cool, uh, cool, But also, like, you know, maybe that's not your jam. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> it was much closer to something like that, where it was this thing that would slowly, like, it would give you this fever and your brain would, you know, go haywire and then you'd go ballistic. But we were talking about story stuff and I was like, Hey, what do you want to draw? Cause that's like my, that's my number one question when talking to a collaborator, especially a creator on stuff. I'm like, what are you interested in doing? Because you have to do that for a long time. And she was like, well, I really like cute girls and nature and mutations. And I was like, what? <laughs> it has cute girls. Uh, and I was like, all right, I got you. Give me like a week.
2: <laughs> nice.
3: And then we, we started talking about like just imagery stuff. I think she showed me how to ma- use Pinterest and we were like just dropping stuff in there. And then I was, we were talking and she was like, oh, my mom's a horticulturalist and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what? That's so cool. And so from that kind of dialogue came the idea that they should be beautiful and there should be a lot of botanical imagery and stuff like that. And like I went in and, and, and bullshit scienced why it works. I did a lot of research that no one will ever see. So it is not true, but like it, it like Star Trek, it is science fiction heavy on the science. But yeah, that's that's where that came from. That's how that kind of came about. The core of the story, which is, you know, about exploitation and about suppression and also about just having the worst job on the planet, <laughs> which anyone <laughs> who has worked any public-facing job will understand. That stuff all all kind of was there, but you know, working with Emily, the characters really came to life and the world really came to life. And we realized that, like, we wanted it to have a different visual language than more traditional zombie stuff, which I love. I'm a big big horror person in general, but zombie stuff scares the crap out of me, so I'm extra fascinated by it. <laughs> but we thought, all right, well, what are the themes that we're interested in besides this exploitation? Well, the idea that beautiful things can be... Kind of the most vile or vicious in nature, right? Like poison dart frogs are hell of poison.
2: <laughs> don't don't. Oh yeah, touch yeah. <laughs> but they're beautiful to look at. They're they're right. F- they're amazing.
3: Exactly. There's all kinds. Like there are flowers that are either poisonous or they you know they look beautiful but they smell putrid. Like there's all kinds of cool. Like nature is wild. <laughs> and so we really wanted to hook in with that, and we also kind of like wanted to. This was something that really interested me, and then when we came together really became something was, I, I wasn't really interested in telling a fall of society story. I was like, people have done it way better than me. When I was writing it, The Walking Dead was still coming out. Romero exists. Like I was like, uh, the masters have taken. <laughs> I can't, I can't attempt to do that. Not with zombies anyway, you know, but what what really interested me was kind of the aftermath, right? When you have disaster after disaster, as we have experienced, you know, the world doesn't stop. So what happens when we kind of pick ourselves up and start to settle back in? Who, you know, who has power? Who, you know, what expectations are on people? How do we survive as a a society? So that was really what was interesting to me. And so when working with Emily and bringing in all that nature stuff, I really started thinking about how kind of a reclamation of the world by nature would also affect how people interacted and stuff like that. There's all kinds of stuff that we didn't get to put in the first arc that if we ever get a second arc, I'd be so interested in, in exploring. There's like a, a cult of people that live in the wilds who worship like the abominations and like just all kinds of weird stuff.
2: (laughs) And the, the, the art is so compelling. It, it literally just draws you in. You're like, oh, I have to figure out what this is about. It's she was really, 20, really amazing.
3: 20. She's so good. She's so, so good. and She's only, you know, only gotten better, which is unfair. Because <laughs> she's so good already. But she, she also, Emily, is someone who spends a lot of time doing studies and, and really working on her craft. She's a very, very driven person. Like, I wish I had mind. that kind of motivation at that age. there is
2: they're like weightlifters they they go about it and they're they're you know constantly honing their skills you know working on their muscles getting getting stuff done and it's it's really you see when they put in the work
3: it's a joy too like I every time I would get new pages back it was such a pleasure I felt bad that I worked her so hard (laughs) (laughs) a so, little longer each issue right than the traditional single issue so like i was i was like i'm sorry i'm like i'm
2: working on a comic with with a good friend and every now and then he'll he'll send me a page and i'm like oh my gosh it's beautiful i wrote that while i was on the toilet um
3: <laughs> you never know he could have drawn it while he was on the
2: toilet but, but i mean <laughs> yeah i mean th- <laughs> You made me feel better. <laughs> they're, they're a little bit more mobile now. They're not. They're not chained to a, a drafting table anymore. You
3: could have like an iPad Pro and a an pencil and just <laughs> So, how did you? What?
2: How did you get over to Marvel?
3: I. Uh, that is a good question. So I, <laughs> like Rosenberg, I did the DC Writers Workshop, <laughs> and so I work at Marvel. No. Um, <laughs> just kidding uh no i i I still do work with dc
2: and you've yeah you've done stuff with dc you run the dark knights black metal thing
3: heck yeah and i (laughs) would be able to do one of the dark multiverse like larger larger i
2: I heard a a a little hint of pride in that heck yeah and it made me (laughs) smile like a like a moron i'm so happy with that
3: they keep asking me to do Wonder Woman shorts, and I'm like, I will do that for the rest of my life. Wonder Woman, <laughs> like I said, was one of my very first comic book characters. She means the world to me. She's like my third favorite character of all time. Like, I will. What's count.
2: your favorite run?
3: I really, really. Oh, damn, this is hard. This is going to get this. If you, is you don't want to like character of Twitter, no, sorry. <laughs> Controversially, I think probably Greg Rucka's original run is probably my favorite. Although there have been a bajillion incredible runs i think Greg to really Rucka. he's amazing he's uh, absolutely amazing amazing writer amazing guy
2: yeah super nice dude yeah i was worried because he seemed kind of intense like in in other interviews i've heard him with so when i talked to him i was like oh my gosh uh he's gonna think i'm a jackass and a moron and no. we talked for like two hours almost super nice dude casey
3: <laughs> okay, so you need to be nice to you <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying.
3: Affirmations every day.
2: <laughs> so, but yeah, you you're you're working. You did Mobius or Morbius. You did so many other things at Marvel, and uh, now you're on the X books.
3: I, I am very lucky. My first Marvel work. I believe was the fourth issue of the Marvel Knights 20 miniseries, which was a series that was worked on by other writers such as Oh, Donna Cates like ran it, like he was the showrunner, and then Matt Rosenberg and Teeny Howard. We all we all went in, which is super cool because it was just Bunch a well, you know, it's funny because Teeny Teeny and Matt are, I guess Matt Matt's the class right ahead of us we call it classes like basically there are <laughs> peer groups that kind of come up together and it's almost like a class in like high school or college where like you go oh yeah they're the class b- before me or after me i think Teenie and i are kind of in the same class i mean she's clearly much more prolific and, and super incredible but also we kind of got in at the same time and so like for us we're just kind of on the come up and roseberg like i said was very very kind in introducing me to you know, everyone he knew, whether it be on the, you know, publishing side or in the creative side. And that's really how, like, that is really how comics work. Like, it's a lot of, like, networking kind of stuff. That's how, you know, not all networking, like, with the big end, but, like, you know, just, like, hanging out and getting to know each other. And it's like, oh, you're cool. I want to do a thing with you. That's how, you know, like how Emily and I were like, oh, we both think each other is cool and like each other's work. Let's work together. That's kind of how it works.
2: Rosenberg (laughs) seems just like he loves comics. He loves the form and he is, he is going to cheerlead that as much as possible. And I respect the hell out of it. There's, there's nobody will ever replace Stan, but (laughs) people like Rosenberg out there that are just like, this is the greatest art form ever. And I'm going to show you. And if not, I'm going to, I'm going to send you a comic and I will prove to you that it's awesome.
3: (laughs) I, you know, he was, he was an incredible advocate for comics working in the comic shop. And it was really something really great to watch because you're right. Like he really loves comics so much, but he believes in them as a medium, not just to entertain, but to transform and to educate and to, to connect people. And, you know, for me, I, I just, I, you know, comics are for people who like group projects. (laughs) Like if that makes sense. And so like, that's why you find friendships that are so lasting and so meaningful. And that's why comics people tend to know a lot of people. It's because we really like, even if we're introverts, I'm, I'm not, but (laughs) there are plenty of comics people that are introverts, you know, at the end of the day, what we really want to do is connect with people through this work. So yeah, Rosenberg's one of the best. He's a great hype man for comics and, and for creators. I mean, he, he does a lot of work behind the scenes to make sure that like people that might not necessarily be looked at, get looked at, no That's one can awesome. guarantee any sort of work, but like it really does go a long way to put someone's book in front of someone or something like that. And he's very good at making connections.
2: That's awesome. So the quick question concerning your your comic shop days, is there a okay. title or a book in particular that you would you would send to people like that you would go like, hey, check this out?
3: You know, I got really good at the tailoring comics suggestions to people game. This was a game that like we would just play all the time and, and try to get better and better. The best that is clearly Matt Klein. If you're listening to this Matt Klein, he could sell a horse its own legs. That guy. Um, <laughs> true story. He would just pick a book every day and be like, I'm going to sell this book out today. And then he would do it. For me, I really, what interested me as a, as a, like a salesperson, but also in life is, is getting people into story and so for me, the best way to do that is be like, all right, what's your favorite book? What's your favorite TV show? Who's your favorite character in general? I'll recommend something new based on this, like alchemy, right? So, you know, if we had someone that didn't have a lot of experience with comics, you also have to keep in mind that reading comics is not like, it's its own language. Oh, yeah,
2: yeah. And there's a tactile not experience easy. there. And
3: yeah, it's, it's not easy. Like, and, and that's, not, like you, there are like advanced comics right? <laughs> like you can't <laughs> like it's hard to hand someone i would want to and i would sometimes anyway but it's hard to hand someone strangers in paradise and just be like here read this if they've never read a comic before because the language of comics is is something that isn't just read text look at picture yeah uh, but you know i strangers in paradise is always a go-to for me if you like crime books more like such romance, a romance yeah he's also just a phenomenal human being. I, I'm super into Hellboy. Hellboy is one of my favorite books. So, like, <laughs> Hellboy into someone's hands, like, or BPRD, Like, I'm super into that. Why the Last Man was also another one that I was just, you know, I just love that book so much. But mostly I would ask people what they were into and then kind of go through my mental Rolodex. <laughs> see, I'm also in my late
2: 30s. <laughs> <laughs> you know what a Rolodex is. <laughs>
3: These kids, they don't know. So yeah, but like, if I had to pick a book out of a hat, like if we're talking, you know, DC, then it's probably going to be something like Gotham Central, right? If we're talking like indie stuff, it'll be something like Hellboy if you want more superhero or supernatural stuff or something like Strangers in Paradise or Why the Last Man if you're looking for something that's a little more grounded, even though Why is post logic. If we're talking Marvel, I mean, that's a hard one, but like it depends because Marvel... It's like, I don't know, do you like superpowers or do you like not superpowers? <laughs> so yeah, there's there's a couple of books that I like to recommend to people, but generally I like to to be as, I customize it as much as possible because I want people to leave happy and then come back and talk to people.
0: And we're back. That's right, we are back. Back in the saddle again. Well, <laughs> I hope you guys really, really enjoyed that as much as we did, making it for you. And if you like what you heard and you want to hear more, you got to go check out Spoilerverse.com. Because at Spoilerverse.com, we have a plethora. Plethora is such a, it's such a snobbish word. <laughs> I like it, though. <laughs> it's, it's a good word. We have an obscene amount of of interviews with amazing directors and artists of all walks of life and editors and writers and oh my god are you a lover of comic books like we are then there's so many many amazing people from the comic book world over at spoilerverse.com and i highly implore you to go there and check it out
1: yeah, and while you're there, you can check out all the other podcasts on our network, like Bridgingly Geekdoms, and Funny Book Forensics, and Haphazard Adventures, and Nerds from the Kitchen, and so many more.
0: Misery Point out Radio. we episodes
1: all the time. Misery Point Radio is about a ton of great stuff out there. Go check all of them out, and check out all of the reviews and previews and articles we have going up every single day for you, every day on swilliverus.com, for you to check out, to read, and to love, and to like, and to comment. We have a store link. If you want to help support the site, you can do it two ways. One, go to our Patreon, which is just patreon.com slash support country we go to our store link in the middle of the site there and get a t-shirt, a face mask, a hoodie, something. Look fly as hell and help support the site when you do that because we get a dollar or two. And you know, maybe you want to talk to us. If you do, you can do it you know, obviously on all the socials. But if you go to scpod.us slash discord, you can join our public Discord server and come chat with us all day long.
0: I couldn't say it better myself, dude. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You just mouthed out a ton of information at once and really... <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy what you're hearing because we're we're working our butts off to bring it to you. We are, we are. I guess there's only one left thing, one left thing. Yeah, I'm <laughs> gonna go with it. There's only one left thing left to do. What's that? In an oceans of podcasts, we are Cthulhu. As Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind and eat more.